1: I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Dan Nathan. Tonight on Fast, another record breaker on Wall Street. All three major averages closing at all-time highs as the reopening rally rolls on. We'll break down how our traders are playing the historic move straight ahead. Plus, Target hits the bullseye. The retailer jumping more than 2.5% today thanks to some big news on Stretchy Pants. You heard that right. We will explain. And later, Game On shares a take to interactive on the move in the after hour session on earnings. We'll bring you the big numbers from its quarter. But we start off with a Bitcoin bombshell and the return of the fast money Bitcoin bug. Yes, it's back. Tesla announcing today it bought one and a half billion dollars of the cryptocurrency. Tesla saying it made the purchase for the uh, ability to further diversify and maximize returns on our cash, the news sending Tesla shares higher by more than a percent in Bitcoin to its highest level on record. So tonight we start the show with a simple question: why? Why should Tesla go up on this news? Why should Bitcoin go up by fourteen and a half percent on this news? Guy, what do you say?
2: Well, you've seen it before. We saw it with micro strategies. I mean that was a. I think $175 stock prior to the offering that they did. Michael Saylor obviously being the CEO there. And I think the stock closed over $1,000 today. So, you know, the, the why answer is because that's what the market's geeked up for. And that's the way the market's been trading. We've seen it under a number of different securities. So to a certain extent, it makes sense. And as long as Bitcoin does this grind higher, those stocks will probably go up uh exponent well not exponentially, but you know, maybe to a magnify of a one and a half or so times. Mm-hmm. But it works on the downside as well, melissa I have no idea what Bitcoin is going to do, but if we do that back and fill to twenty thousand, that micro is now a thousand dollars, is probably a six hundred dollar stock. And maybe you see similar in Tesla. My biggest problem is not the fact that these companies are doing it. I think publicly traded companies with board approvals and shareholder approval should be able to do anything they want in the confines of the law. It's sort of this gamification, you know, it's Elon Musk putting on his Twitter account a Bitcoin emoji, or whatever mm-hmm. the, the youngins say. And, you know, I'm not trying to be get off my lawn, OK, Boomer stuff, but I think, there's, I think there's a danger associated with that. He's the CEO of one of the 10 largest companies in the world. I think with that, heavy is a head that wears a crown. And I think he's got to think more of those things. It can't just be willy-nilly, in my opinion. I
1: think that's an interesting point to make. But Elon Musk had had demonstrated his you know, propensity for Bitcoin back in December. So arguably, he was driving up the price of Bitcoin as the company was buying it. So not exactly you know, helping his own company in terms of establishing that $1.5 billion purchase. In terms of participating to the upside, it's more so participating to the downside. Karen, when I heard this news, I first reached out to you because you probed the accounting of this. And it's very interesting. Tesla's not necessarily a Bitcoin proxy for, in terms of the way it's accounting for this Bitcoin purchase.
3: No, it isn't. And the accounting of it says that you have to market at the price you bought it. Unless it trades down, then you have to market at that price. But I don't think shareholders are going to care about that. I think they just like the idea of it. Um, I, I don't know when he bought it. It's, it's sort of fascinating to me. But I do think it's actually a really big deal. When we talked not that long ago about the idea of institutional investors finally feeling like they can be comfortable having some exposure to cryptocurrencies, to Bitcoin, that was sort of a big move. And, I, and there's a lot to go in that. Uh, I think we were at the very beginning of that here you have S&P 500 companies with the cash on their balance sheets contemplating using some of that to buy Bitcoin. He also mentions potentially gold and gold ETFs in the Tesla release. But that's kind of amazing to me as well. So we haven't even seen yet the institutional buying come through at all. I don't know if every S&P 500 CFO is going to want to do this. They've been pretty conservative for a pretty long time. You know, buying gold wouldn't have seemed that crazy. And yet I don't think very many of them did it. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, I, I'm long, so I'm glad it's trading up. It I, I do kind of think, what could go wrong from here? I don't know. <laughs> maybe a tad frothy.
1: Although once the institutional investors started to come in, it seemed like they all started to come in really fast. And that turn happened, I don't know, Dan, maybe Eight months ago, you know, when it was sort of rare to hear about a big firm coming in, and then all of a sudden it was Paul Tudor Jones and it's BlackRock and it's everybody and their brother uh, buying Bitcoin or having the ability to buy Bitcoin.
4: Yeah, you know, we have to give, obviously, BK a lot of credit here. This was one of the bull... Um, one of the, the pillars of the bull case that he made years and years ago to us about institutional adoption, and so i don 't think at the time we were talking about you know publicly traded corporates uh, putting this on their balance sheet to away, diversify away from cash. but if you think about what 's happened over the last few years and the narrative around the dollar and with interest rates and every time there 's a hiccup in the economy and what central banks do globally that 's why we are here, I guess and it 's a validation of that and i 'll just make this one point that you know Karen was talking about when Elon Musk maybe was buying it and what he was saying about it. I mean, maybe their board has gotten really smart about how they're going to start doing things in a way because at least that they were telegraphing um, the, the direction in which they were going. And, you know, listen... This is a function, you know, Tesla having an $800 billion market cap and all of a sudden now having a balance sheet that looks like it's ready to party in crypto land is just a function of also where we are as far as uh, monetary policy and what's coming on the fiscal side, that sort of thing. So to me, one and a half billion dollars of something that could be literally go to zero. From one and a half billion to zero or when we have guests come on and say they have two hundred three hundred four hundred five hundred thousand dollar price targets for this thing i guess it's probably a rounding error right now and it could prove to be a very big thing and on the downside not that big of a deal
1: it's eight percent of tesla's cash on the balance sheet that it ended 2020 with so just to put that into perspective tim what's your, what's your take on all there's so many places to go in terms of implications where do you want to start <laughs>
5: uh, Yeah. So, I mean, as it relates to whether corporate America is going to use uh, one percent of their their treasury cash towards this, what this could mean for Bitcoin, it's an extraordinary concept. Uh, I do think that uh, there's a lot of cover for corporates right now, either inflation hedge. Uh, the dynamics of of the digital world and and certainly what the few companies that have really gotten out there early. And even Tesla made a point to say, we actually want to give our customers the ability uh, to pay in Bitcoin. Yet in the other, you know, in the filing, they said this is really, uh, uh, you know, effectively about speculation. So um, there's there's a lot of projections, there are many projections we can make. It it is important to note, you mentioned the 8% of the cash in the balance sheet. Um, You know, I I footnote Charlie Grant of the Wall Street Journal who pointed out that a a, a billion and a half is what Tesla spent on R&D in 2020. So, I mean, it it depends how you look at this. This is an extraordinary amount of money um, for a company that trades six and a half times Ford and GM combined. So um, it's not a surprise to me that Elon Musk has his pulse on what the masses want he's proven that he's proven to be very very uh you know i'll, I'll call him on the front line of that uh but I, I i think to say that this is where we go tomorrow in bitcoin no uh, but every company that's done this has been rewarded let's not forget about square mm-hmm. uh, how about mass mutual back in december so um so far this has been a victory lap for people that have done it
1: karen i want to go back to you because i think you know to me there's a distinction between putting it on their balance sheet as a cash or cash equivalent, and putting it in the category in which it did, and Square did, as you pointed out to me earlier today, which is intangible assets. Shouldn't we think about this differently in terms of the amount of, of "quote unquote" risk that Tesla is taking with its cash?
3: I think the risk is the same, whether you mm-hmm. call it an intangible asset or whether you call it, you know, current uh, current asset cash. I think the risk is the same, but I come back again to I don't think. I don't think investors, certainly in Tesla, are going to look at how did the intangible asset move over the prior quarter when the next (laughs) quarter comes out. I think they'll just look at it now. The correlation between Bitcoin and Tesla is tighter than it was, particularly to the upside. I think they'll find it very tight to the upside, maybe less so to the downside, which is,
1: I don't know, that's kind of crazy to me, but I think it will trade that way. Guy, I want to ask you a question. I ask everybody so, questions, right? That's my job. Um, sure but, but know. particularly <laughs> because you have been so vocal against what the Fed has done and the impact to the dollar, and you had said before just now that that you think all companies should do whatever the heck they want to do as long as the board permits it, the shareholders are on board, et cetera, et cetera. But shouldn't companies shouldn't companies be um, obligated to even look at Bitcoin? as a hedge against a weaker dollar given what the fed has done I mean wouldn't that just be responsible
2: yeah hundred percent I think that's what a lot of these companies are doing without question and I think this does you know again I'm pretty vocal as you mentioned outspoken critic of the Federal Reserve and central banks and I think you're seeing you're seeing this in real time and by the way all these headlines are not bullish for the US dollar I mean effectively these companies are fleeing the dollar for what they deem to be a safer and more valuable asset in the form of Bitcoin. And the fact that they mentioned gold in that as well is fascinating to me. So, you know, again, I've seen the dollar bounce over the last couple of weeks. I get it. I think these rallies are going to be short-lived. And I think the trajectory for the dollar will be continued lower. You know, I keep talking about that Citi note a couple of months ago, about a 20% decline in 2021. And I think they're going to be right. And a decline in the U.S. dollar with interest rates going higher, by the way, I think 10-year traded up, then I'm sure I'll be corrected, but almost 1.2% or so, highest we've seen in a while. I don't think that's particularly bullish, and I think that speaks to something far greater than just Bitcoin.
1: So what if more S&P 500 companies did what Elon Musk is doing? We did some uh, math on the back of an envelope. We said if Tesla spent roughly 8% of its cash on hand in Bitcoin, what if other companies followed suit? If you add up all the cash in the books, of the entire S&P 500, that total is $1.6 trillion. So if all those companies took about 10% of their cash, we round it up for easy math, and they bought Bitcoin with that 10%, that would be $160 billion of Bitcoin, or roughly 20% of the cryptocurrency's entire market cap today. 20%. What did the what did the crypto move today? Fourteen and a half percent because of what Elon Musk did himself. Let's bring in our own crypto baller, Brian Kelly. He joins us on the fast line. Um, BK, why is why did Bitcoin go higher on this news?
0: Well, for exactly the reason that you just mentioned, I think everybody else in the market did that calculation and said there's going to be some percentage of public companies that add Bitcoin to their balance sheet. And, you know, there's a multiplier effect. When you put $1 in, uh, you get multiple dollars in Bitcoin price. So the market calculated that and said, this, is, this isn't going to be the only one. This is just really the tip of the spear.
1: Do you think that this whole notion of, of Tesla holding this because it's going to accept it as future payment, is that a driver? I mean, you're a Bitcoin baller, but, of course, you're a stock market guy, too. Um, is that a driver for, for Tesla, if you will? I mean, Tom Lee had tweeted earlier something to the effect of, um, there's all this Bitcoin being held and there are very few places to spend it at this point. So this is a smart business move for the future.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, the way I look, I think about Bitcoin is that there's a life cycle to it. Right. So we started off kind of in the seed stage. Then you went to the growth equity. We're really in the commodity phase of it. And then with this Tesla saying, hey, this is some place you could spend it, that's going to shift it to that currency phase. And that's when it'll be less speculative. That's when it'll be less volatile. It'll probably be less interesting to a volatility junkie like BK, but it will it's the maturation of the market. So I think, you know, Tesla doing that is really good. That being said, I think it's multiple years away before you start really seeing Bitcoin being used as a transactional currency.
5: Hey, BK, it's Tim. Is, is the next wave of digital coins or tokens coming now again? I mean, this, I'm just curious about the broadening of the market. I, very clear, Bitcoin is the standard. But, but could somebody else emerge to take some of that treasury market that we're talking about with corporate America? Or is it going to be all Bitcoin?
0: You know, Bitcoin's got a heck of a lead, Tim. Uh, and this whole game is about network effect. And the bigger you are, the just the more value you become. Um, so, I, I, you know, at this point, I think Bitcoin's got a pretty good lock on it. That being said, I think of Bitcoin as the reserve asset for a new digital economy. So you think about something like Ethereum. Um, that's being used to build a lot of decentralized fintech-type products. Um, that, you know, CME just launched futures on that today. That's probably what's next here is people start looking and saying, OK, wait a second, I've got Bitcoin as a reserve asset. What do I do with it? I can do all these things in, in DeFi and fintech, and I'm, I'm going to need coins to do that. That's where the other coins come in.
3: Yeah. BK, it's Karen, big fan of your work. Thanks for being on. What about thinking <laughs> about Bitcoin as it relates to the size of gold as a reserve currency? Do, you, do That hasn't been so much of the argument, but how do you think about that? Should it be the same as gold?
0: Uh, So there's lots of arguments that it could be even a multiple of gold because it's a lot more useful than gold. Um, This is really a currency of the Internet. Uh, And if you do really have a digital economy grow, it's going to be a lot more valuable than gold. That being said, I always shy away from these huge, huge price predictions just because we've got to get to these other steps. And really, kind of the benchmark is if if you're a new product and you can grab 20% of the market share... Uh, then you're considered on your way, and you're a success, and you're a disruptor. Uh, Bitcoin is about six hundred billion dollar, roughly, in market cap today. Gold, ten trillion. So we got to get to two trillion in Bitcoin before we even can say that. Hey, this is really disrupted gold. For me as a speculator, that's a massive upside, and I'd just be real happy if Bitcoin got the two trillion.
1: <laughs> I bet you would, <laughs> BK. Good to see you. Thank you, <laughs> Brian Kelly, BKCM. Um, So, Tim, I'll go to you on your dollar. I say your dollar uh, facetiously. Um, But in terms of the forces driving the dollar lower, if if one is to believe that Bitcoin is going to increasingly be adopted by institutions, by S&P 500 companies, I mean, is is that yet another force against the dollar?
5: I think the dollar is largely trading on its own fundamentals here. Uh, I I don't think the dollar is weaker on the back of of whether there's been more focus on digital currencies or gold for that matter. The dollar uh, on an exploding deficit on the dynamics of of where I, I think, Policy is both monetary policy and fiscal policy really is playing it. And again, sometimes dollar dynamics are very technical. And, and, you know, comparing the dollar to the euro, people probably say no comparison. Uh, But Europe, you know, at least runs a current account surplus. And, And so there's dynamics here that I think will just have the currency trading based upon Uh, those fundamentals. It doesn't mean, though, that the weakening dollar and then the inflation dynamics that we are talking about, the result of the weaker dollar, uh, and and I think things we're all very Mm -hmm. concerned of and I think are underestimated in markets right now, are reasons why institutions and especially institutional investors say, I have to own some of this because this is a hedge, I think, for financial assets. Dan.
4: Yeah, if you think that the U.S. Treasury and the U.S. government is going to let this thing get out of hand, where literally corporates are starting to replace dollars to a large What
1: can they do at this point? They can
4: regulate the hell out of it, is what they can do. And and we've already seen that. I mean, we've seen it to some extent. I'm just telling you. I mean, they're going to let the dollar fall away from being the reserve currency for the world. So right now, we are in a, a bit of a euphoric state. I mean, when you think about what are we talking about here? We're talking about Tesla and we're talking about Bitcoin. These are two. Two risk assets that have gained more than a trillion dollars combined in like the last six months and it's all based on hopium and I don't mean to hate on all of this all these people who are making a ton of money on both of these things just understand that there's got to be some sort of gravity that takes hold at some point. And the two of them combined make for, I think, a really difficult situation if they both start going down together. And the ripple effects that we will see across currency markets, financial markets, and the such could be really great. No one is talking about it right now. There are no more naysayers in Bitcoin. So I would just say to you, have at it at 45000 because you've taken out everybody who thinks it's a scam.
1: Yeah, it is approaching 45,000 as we speak. Coming up, a bullseye for Target, a billion reasons why work from home fashion is paying off for this retailer. That trade coming up. Plus, here's the take two now hitting after hours lows on earnings. The conference calls underway. We'll tell you what they're saying about the quarter. Much more Fast Money right after this break.
6: Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place?
1: Welcome back to Fast Money Checkout. Shares of Target jumping nearly 3% today. The retailer announcing its active wear line, all in motion, hit a billion dollars in annual sales. That is Target's 10th in-house brand to generate more than a billion dollars just last year. That is amazing, Karen. They've got 45 brands. Ten of them have more than a billion dollars in sales. I mean, they've done an extraordinary job. That's
3: great for them. But really, I mean, the pandemic was... They just made hay while the sun wasn't shining. But the, the pivot, and that's sort of not, that's too understated a word that they made, was really extraordinary. And they were the beneficiary, obviously, being able to be open. But also, they just upped their game. And I think that even when we see the reopen trade, and I think we will and I hope we will soon, I think they're still poised to do well. Some of that market share that they took, I think they're keeping, not some, I think a lot of it, they're keeping and they deserve to keep it. They've done a great job. Maybe it gets the sentiment moves away when the market is really into the open, you know, we're back open trade. But I like it. I'm staying long. It is not expensive at all. And they've been extraordinary executors. So I am going to stay with it. give them the benefit of the doubt, doesn't, there's no doubt. I, I like it here at 21 times, 22 yeah. times.
1: Steve had an upgrade today and some might argue that the upgrade came late because it goes to a buy rating on target today. But a big reason is the investment in digital and, and how that has paid off during this pandemic guy, a lot of same-day pickup, whether it be drive-up or shipped or whatnot, that's, that's really showing mm-hmm. through in the digital sales.
2: Yeah, and just to, you know, the other side of the Stiefel call, they did have a $200 price target on it, but you're mm-hmm. right. They did raise it to buy. I, I think if you do the valuation, to Karen's point, it is cheap. It's cheap to the broader market. It's cheap probably still to Walmart. And I think if you just put a market multiple on target, you're talking about that $225 price target that Stiefel has, and you could, you know, on the tape we're seeing now, you could see it in the earnings, I believe, on March 2nd. So we really haven't shied away from this one for a while. I think you stay long target in earnings on March 2nd.
1: Target at Walmart, Tim.
5: Walmart, uh, not because t- Target's done much wrong. I-, I just think that the digital story of Walmart's stronger. The valuation uh, re-rating put- potential there is, is great. Um, And I think some of the other initiatives that are giving Walmart the ability to also push around people, uh, including Target. I I think Walmart's the price setter uh, and everyone else is following. They're not Target, which is why I think Target has done so well in some of these brands.
1: Uh, Dan, I'll expand the choices for you. Uh, Target, Walmart or have at it. I want none of the above.
5: How about
4: Costco down 10 percent, Mel, from its 52-week highs made a couple months ago? And just thinking about the stimulus and the size that we might get here, Costco's one that could push back up to those prior highs. So have at it. I'm not playing your game.
1: <laughs> Touche. <laughs> We're just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next.
0: Markets at record highs. Airline stocks taking flight. Is this proof that the reopening trade is alive and well? Or will rising interest rates take the wind out of the sails in this rally? Jonathan Golub of Credit Suisse joins us for some answers. We've got that and a lot more when
6: Fast Money returns. What's on the horizon for financial markets?
0: If you look at the math, we're going to put about 220 million doses into the market by the end of March. And if J&J gets authorized, which I think they will, that'll be another 30, maybe 40 million doses. So figure 250 million doses by the end of March. And if, if a 60-40 split occurs, meaning 60 percent are first injections, 40 percent are second injections, which is probably about right, that's around 150 million people that will vaccinate between um, December and the end of March.
1: That was former FDA Commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb earlier today on CNBC. And look at what played out in the market. Stocks hitting record highs with the Dow, S&P and Nasdaq all closing at their highest level ever. The reopening rally playing out today, especially in the airlines. Green arrows across the board there for the group. So let's trade it. Uh, Tim, you flagged this thought earlier before soundbite, I should say, earlier on our call. Uh, And this would imply that maybe people are, are underestimating how quickly the economy could come back.
5: Well again, if you look at the airlines and and where we've been moving in the evolution of that trade just from from balance sheet dynamics to recovery to to actually you know where you start to look at some normalized earnings, I think. Very, very interesting. And yeah, I, I think uh, that was a captivating interview because and it was obviously fantastic for the world and for our country, the pent up demand around vacations. I, I, I like some of the hotel chains. I like actually Hilton Grand Vacations, HGV, because I think this is a company and you see this from uh, other other players as well. Permanent savings uh, out of covid that have been squeezed out of their business Uh, and i think profitability that's already been guided to be much much better than expected for 2021 so uh, i I, some of these trades have had a very big move but some of these trades have been waiting for these types of uh, of segments and dr gottlieb uh, i think gave us all a lot of reason to be bullish
1: guy do you think this is what rates are are telegraphing
2: absolutely i think that's a huge part of it without question and i think to me that's the big concern for the back half of this year if not before is that rates go higher than people expect and you know I'm probably in a minority in that one but I absolutely think that's what's going on and the fact again getting back to the Fed that they somehow think they can not control it but let it sort of sideways to slightly higher over the course of however many years I think that's just foolish so I think that's what's going on and we played a game I think towards the end of last year what's what's the acronym for 2021 and I know it was made fun of, as I typically am, but hope was mine. And some of those names, look at Expedia. I mean, that's probably going to test the levels we saw in June of 2017. Palantir's been a monster. Home Depot, probably close to its all-time high. And even Oracle seems to be getting off the mat. So there is hope out there. uh, And I think it's going to manifest itself in exactly what you said, rates going higher in a meaningful way over the next few months, Mel.
1: I mean, we've got r- records for the stock market. So, so Dan, how do you think about this reopening trade? Is it buy the rumor, sell the news kind of thing? Because then we, we could actually be in for a pullback.
4: I think Tim made a really good point about these companies in these areas that really had um, balance sheet impairment. They had to sell really expensive equity. They had to take a bunch of loans, obviously, in the airlines. But look at a Disney today, up 4.5% or so, making a new all-time high. And you tell me if last year they lost you know, their, their sales were down 20% year over year. Um, their earnings were down sixty some percent No real big uh, balance sheet issues. What is that discounting? So I, I think you have to be really careful and say, okay, well, they were actually discounting the fact that, you know, they're going to be back up and running with all of their business units with maybe, I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I so, so I guess my point is, it's like, do airlines have a lot of ways to go? Yeah, but I suspect that there's going to be some consolidation and there's going to be um, a few more hits. I don't think they're going to recognize a lot of cost savings. If anything, it's going to be a lot more expensive because even if we do have 100 million people or 150 million people vaccinated um, by the spring, the costs associated with running an airline or a hotel or a lot of these other stuff are going to be around for a long time, in my opinion.
1: All right. Our next guest believes reopenings coupled with a supercharged economy will boost stocks even if interest rates continue to move higher. Jonathan Golub is a chief U.S. equity strategist at Credit Suisse. Jonathan, great to see you to be here. So you're also in the, in the camp that believes, um, like our traders, that the second half of the year is going to be a big one for the economy. Will it be an equally big one for the stock market or will we do that in advance?
7: Well, you know, first of all, I, I don't know exactly what the inflection point is, but between now and the beginning of the fourth quarter, I just don't see anything but stocks being higher and the backdrop getting more and more favorable. And, and I think that that this whole argument that rising interest rates are in some way a problem is just, I just think it's going to be proof to not be. Um, it, we just put out a research note which shows that on days where interest rates go uh, go up, stocks go up with it and cyclical stocks go up the most. On days where credit spreads go down, that's good for markets. On days where inflation expectations ri- um, rise, the market actually wants a bit more inflation. The data is pretty clear on that. So. We don't see a threat there, and we think this reopening is going to be big.
2: Yeah, Jonathan, and all those points make great sense. And, you know, I think that's the hope for a lot of people, that these things just continue to move in an orderly fashion. But I know as an analyst and, and somebody that does this for a living, as an economist, you have to sort of forecast you know, what can go wrong. So what can go wrong under this scenario? So, I mean,
7: first of all, there's the obvious thing which everyone's talking about, which is, you know, maybe this, maybe as we have this virus continue to, you know, morph over time, the vaccines will work. And, and that's, you know, for all of us on this show, impossible for us to really predict how that's gonna, gonna go. But the thing which has me concerned is that this is almost like too much. The level of stimulus, we put $5,000 extra in every American's hands, $3,500 from money coming from the government, $1,700 that they have because they haven't been able to spend The wealth effect is enormous. If you held bonds, they're up in value, stocks up in value, real estate. And so when this thing is is gonna reopen, it's gonna be huge, we've been caged up. And do we really need, in addition to the 900 billion extra, we just got another 1.9? I don't wanna see so much stimulus that we run the risk of having a real inflation problem as we move into next year. Um, The tips market, the break evens are predicting three and a half percent inflation by the end of this year. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but what, but uh, to a certain extent, that represents a risk that we're almost pushing this towards overheating at some point in time. But but for now, definitely too early to make that call.
5: Jonathan, Tim, share a lot of the bullish backdrop that that you put out there. But when do markets pay? for the normalized earnings. We, we've 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 not cared, right? So the minute to me, we have that pent up and we have to look and say, this is normalized or bust, um, valuations make no sense.
7: You know, I, I'm not so concerned about the valuations. I mean, if you look at it, and I, I don't want to get too wonky here, but the PE multiple in the market at, at something like 22 is high. There's no way of, uh, other way of, of looking at it. But if you look at the amount of free cash flow that you're getting out of the market, it's enormous. And so the price to free cash flow or the price to uh, the return of capital to shareholders looks very much in line with long-term averages, and we have a much lower cost of capital. So I think that we're gonna be able to maintain multiples at these levels, and my prediction is that over the next two or three years, we'll probably see PEs on the market at 25 or higher. Mm. And I know that that sounds like a crazy number, But it's driven by fundamentals. So um, I don't think this valuation argument is going to be the thing. I do think there's an overheating economy and it's pushing this too far too fast. And the speculative nature of some things going on is reason for concern, though.
1: Jonathan, thank you. Appreciate it. Jonathan Gallagher, Credit Suisse. Uh, Karen, are you worried about inflation um, and, and the economy just heating up faster than we expect later on? Yes, I am. I have a a
3: number of inflation bets on them. One of them actually would be Bitcoin, but also I think the banks will be uh, beneficiaries of that. Then I have some more sort of wonky ones. But I am very optimistic on the reopen trade, and I think that there is still room to run in some of the names. I think will be surprised to the upside about how strong demand is. And when you think about it, if that happens in the next two months or so, and you have the stimulus. So for me, names like, you know, an Ulta, or a Starbucks, um, even some, I don't own Foot Locker anymore, but something like a Foot Locker. And then I have the ultimate reopen trade, I think, which is Live Nation, which by any metric is expensive, but I think we will just see a gigantic second half for them. So, um,
1: I'm hopeful, and I do think inflation
3: will happen, but I'm going to worry about that a little bit later.
1: Yeah, or maybe we shouldn't worry about that at all. I mean, even if Jonathan, you know, he pointed out the TIPS market pricing and more than 3% inflation by the end of the year, even if that happens, Jerome Powell guy has said repeatedly he's not thinking about, thinking about, thinking about, I don't know how many thinking abouts there are, I think it's three, raising rates. And so, (laughs) you know, what wins out, (laughs) knowing that the Fed is not going to do it or the market doing it for the Fed?
2: Well, the hubris associated with that comment, I mean, it's, it's beyond, it, well, I, I find it to be almost laughable that it will say something like that, because in, embedded in that is this belief that they somehow can control it or it can be controlled by forces, which I think is per, proth, preposterous. I think um, you better hope it stops at 3.5%, I guess, is my pushback, because I think we're going to be well north of that in the back half of this year. And once that genie's out of the bottle, we've seen it before, you can't put it back in and that's the existential risk to this market runaway inflation and yes i'm using that term because by the way inflation is here they just choose not to measure it and the dollar getting torched like a white owl as they say for those of you that smoke out there
1: uh dan last comment here
4: yeah you know a lot of complacency. A lot of moving the goalposts. People feel pretty um, certain about what's going to happen here. There was a Bloomberg story on Friday talking about how money managers can't get their hands on enough of high yield junk levered loans that they're actually calling companies asking them to borrow okay before the deals even come to the tape i'm just telling you it's not normal um you can kind of put it in whatever pocket you want of the you know your investment thesis this is not normal and maybe everything's changed but i'm just telling you that a lot of the stuff that i'm hearing sounds like crazy all right
1: coming up it's a semi-surge the sector up seven percent already this month what is behind this move could it keep going and later Twitter shares taking flight ahead of earnings tomorrow. One options trader thinks there's even more room to rise. We'll tell you how to play it when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out the semiconductor ETF, the SMH, rising more than 3% today. It's our move of the day. Leading the gains, NVIDIA, Applied Materials, KLA, uh, I was going to say KLA, KLA 10 Corp. That's the olden days, KLA Corp, which were up 5% or more. Dan, you flagged this one.
4: Well, yeah, we were talking about it. Um, you know, a couple. We've been talking about this story for weeks. I mean, this this tremendous demand, and um, you know, for chips from every which way. And even if you have that work from home demand kind of trail off, you have massive uh, industrial demand. Guy mentioned it last week. How you play at TI? Tim's been talking about Taiwan Semi. I think Guy said after Qualcomm had that disappointing result last week to buy it. It's down 13 percent from its recent all time highs. There's one way to play it, and then I think it's Intel. I think we'd all agree that yes. It's it's... It's so bad there that maybe it's good playing some catch up on some manufacturing issues, that sort of thing. Cheap stock activists in there, new management, that sort of thing. So to me, Intel is the way to play
1: it here. I mean, demand broadly for chips is so strong that there are shortages in many, many industries, Guy. And one would think that that would be a very good sign for this industry at large.
2: Yeah, I took the economics in college and that whole supply-demand forces. It actually does work. And, and I, I agree with Dan. I think that sell and Qualcomm, if you just look at it and look at the valuation, look at really what they said, I think this 148 level makes sense. And AMD is a name we've talked about for a while. And if you go back and look over the last year, year and a half, I mean, it's pretty consistent in terms of stock runs up, they report earnings, a bit of a sell-off, consolidates. And then a couple of weeks later, we're making new highs. And I think that's what you're going to see in AMD over the next couple of weeks as well.
5: Yeah, Tim? You know, NVIDIA is also interesting. As much as I can't stand the valuation, that's never been an issue for this stock. And I've kind of gotten used to that. Um, I I think if you look at their their corner of the graphics and gaming and and high tech chips, uh, it's it's the demand is only growing. Um, if you look at the chart, the breakout today is pretty interesting. You might, you might have actually kind of broken through that 560, uh, 575 resistance area, uh, and I do think you, you, you would be barbelling it. I mean, I think you grab a, a, a high multiple but a, a high-tech chip, and you put in an Intel, like Dan said.
1: Karen, you know, I mentioned the shortages, and I read this line in a Bloomberg article earlier today, which I thought was interesting, because um, I'm not really sure how to think about the shortages in chips in terms of the production impact on autos. Um, the sentence was, the shortages are expected to wipe out $61 billion in sales for automakers alone. Do we think about this as, uh, you know, cars that won't be sold in the future?
3: I'm not quite sure what you mean by that. I don't know if it means cars delayed, or yeah. actual car sales that are lost. Do you I think, think that they're lost like or do you car, think it's delayed? D- delayed. I think it's delayed. I think like vacations, those are lost. You're not getting those back, that cruise ride for that period at that time. Cars, I think, delayed. At least as a GM holder uh, who has some production issues because of this shortage, I am really hoping that it's delayed.
1: Coming up, the bird is the word. Options traders are betting shares of Twitter. We'll fly higher from here. We'll break down that trade straight ahead. But first, Take-Two Interactive on the go after reporting earnings on the go lower, 5%. Should you play this name, find out next. Much more Fast Into. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Take-Two Interactive sinking in the after hours on earnings. Let's get to Josh Lifton with the details. Hey, Josh.
8: So, Melissa, remember heading into this report, the stock had rallied about 20 percent in the past three months, up more than 100 percent from its lows last March. As for the print, Q3 bookings, $814 million a beat. Q4 bookings guidance, also a beat. On the call, CEO Strauss Zelnick talked about an incredibly strong holiday season. Results, he said, exceeded expectations. As for GTA 5 in 2020, more copies sold, he said, than in any year except 2013 when it first launched. NBA, 2 k 21 pointed out net bookings grew 48% engagement there, he called incredibly strong. Analysts did ask the bigger question here about whether trends we're seeing in video games are sustainable. Strauss-Zelnick saying post-pandemic, demand will be higher than pre-pandemic. There's been a shift, he says, in favor of this kind of entertainment, but doesn't know if there's going to be some kind of fall-off when people can once again enjoy live entertainment I also did check in, though, with MKM's Eric Handler now to get his take on the results. Engagement in the stay-at-home environment, he says, is strong. Company's on pace for its third consecutive record year. Having said that, Eric is on the sidelines here. A neutral rating. The beat and bigger raise we saw here were not huge surprises, he says. And looking ahead, 2022 growth prospects, he argues, and the lack of visible catalysts are concerns. Melissa, back to you
1: josh thank you josh lipton the stock is hitting after hour session lows right now down by five and a quarter percent it does strike me and i'm not a gamer and you know full disclosure here if it's not obvious to you already um but tim it would seem to me that after the pandemic people would just by default not have as much time to spend on games period
5: yeah but but that, that's right, and I know, look, I, I know you're hooked on Grand Theft Auto, and you just don't want to publicly admit it, and, and therefore <laughs> this is, no, but look, I, I think you've pulled forward some demand. You've certainly had uh, an audience that has been looking for something to do, uh, but you also have trends and secular trends in terms of gaming, which are replacing linear TV and other forms of, of either online for, especially for the demographic that's focused on gaming. Um, so I, I, I like valuations here. I think they're a little bit stretched, but at 35 times 22, um, this is, uh, I think, a $2.30 two, hundred and thirty dollars stock. No problem. Um, NBA 2K, disappointing, actually, those numbers, I, I think. I think the street was expecting closer to 65% growth on this. Um, but I, I love this space, and I, I'm in it for the long haul.
1: Why the pullback? Do you think I was at the 20% run up into the quarter in the past three months?
5: Yeah
2: yeah it made an all-time high today I think 215 or so so I mean I guess you know Tim's point is right I don't think it's expensive at 35 times but maybe the market does but by the way this stock has sold off a number of times over the last year and a half on exactly those concerns and those sell-offs have been short-lived and the one number that Josh who did a fabulous job by the way didn't mention was operating margins came in really strong at 21.3 percent the street was in the low eighteens. that speaks volumes I think in terms of how well the business is being run so You know, you might see another day two of itself in this name, but you can go back and look. This has happened before, and every single time, much like AMD, a couple weeks later, it's making new all-time highs. I think that's what we're going to see again with Take-Two.
1: Karen?
3: Yeah, I think uh, that there might be a little bit of disappointment that Glue Mobile, which you remembered, that I had one point owned, I don't now, uh, that Take-Two has been missing out
1: on some of the M&A that's been happening in the space. Mm, that's a good point there. Again, shares are take two down by a little bit more than 4% right now. Coming up, check out shares of Twitter on a tear this past month. Option traders are betting the run isn't over. Much more on that straight ahead on Fast. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Twitter flying to a new 52-week high today. The social media stock reports earnings tomorrow. Mike Co spotted some unusual options activity today that could point to a bigger breakout ahead. Mike, what would you see?
2: Yeah, so Twitter, this is a really volatile one around earnings. Over the last eight quarters, this is a company that has moved 11% on average after they've reported earnings. And the longer-term history is even more impressive than that. 70% of their reported earnings quarters, the stock moved more than 10% higher or lower the week that they reported. Right now, the options market is expecting more of the same. Uh, Right now, it's implying a move of about 12%, but most of those flows we're bullish today and have been over the course of the last 20 days. The most active options today were the 60 strike options that expire this month in February. Buyers of those were paying just under $3 and almost 20,000 contracts traded hands. So they're obviously betting that Twitter's share price could rally through that $60 strike price by at least the premium that they spent. And we also saw a lot of activity in the March call options as well, the 60 and 65 strikes.
1: Dan, you see Twitter going higher on earnings?
4: Well, I, listen, I'll tell you this. I think the real event is going to be February 25th when they have their analyst day. I think there's a lot of investors who are hoping for them to get some product things right for better monetization. I know user growth was really disappointing last quarter. The stock's up 30% off that uptrend line from the March lows here. I could see it coming back in, but I think you may, might want to reload to the upside in, t- in anticipation of that February 25th
2: analyst day. Mm, guy? Love the Twitter. I never thought it was about MAUs or DAUs. I said that years ago it's the wrong metric to look at. Um, They should get away from them. I do think the stock continues to grind higher from here, Mel. We've said it for a while.
1: I mean, the retail sector did okay when it abandoned same-store sales in large part, right? It's just a matter Mm -hmm. of investors getting used to it.
2: Take your medicine sometimes. It gets gets better afterwards. Okay.
1: Thanks, Mike. Mike Coe. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show Friday, 530 p.m. Eastern Time. Coming up next, Final Trades. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour.
5: Reopening trade Hilton Grand Vacations HGV. I talked about $30 million in permanent savings and free cash flow generation, uh, but EBITDA possibly $50 million this year. Uh, reopening trade looking good.
1: Karen
3: Feinerman. Yeah, it's Karen and the dog. Sorry about that. Um, little sad one for me today, selling some upside calls in United Rentals. It's had a really good run, but I think this giant stimulus might actually make it a little harder to get infrastructure done. So selling some upside calls in URI. Dan Nathan.
4: Yeah, so Guy mentioned that the Take-Two might be uh, back towards those highs. Um, I would tell you that EA sold off last week after a very small miss. I'd say that one's headed back towards its highs also.
1: Guy Dami.
2: Mel, I know you thought that the real MVP of last night's game was Todd Bowles. You have strong opinions on that. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely. I know. It's amazing. I mean, your instinct for sports is incredible. Mm -hmm. Caterpillar, I think the analyst community are off sides. Only
1: 50% have buys. I think it trades up to 225. All right. Thanks for watching. Fast. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Mad Money with Jim starts right now.
8: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses,